10 Pence Arcade Podcast is sponsored by Retro Games Party. Get out of emulation and into the arcade with Retro Games Party. Arcade game hire for public events and private parties. With three regular community-led meetings throughout the year, there ain't no party like a Retro Games Party. Visit their website at www.retrogamesparty.co.uk and get involved. The 10 Pence Arcade Podcast is a proud member of the Retro Junkies Network and Throwback Network. Hello and welcome to Tempence Arcade Podcast. My name is Victor Marland, aka Vertvic. And I'm Sean Holly, aka in your face, Sean Holly. And these pair of dummies keep forgetting to say this is the Tempence Arcade Podcast, and I am Annika Corrections Robot. How are you, old sir? How are you getting on? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. So, uh, tell me what you've been up to, mate. Oh, I've been very busy, yeah. Very busy. Yeah, I've got a musical what I've been up to. Oh, okay. I've been to Arcade Club, which sounds like this. I've been playing Star Wars Battle Pod in Blackpool, which sounds like this. Excellent. I've been to the Batcave in Blackburn, which sounds like this. Hi Lewis, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you very much, Sean. Lewis, Batcave, at Batcave XIV. That's the XIV. I think so, yeah, 14. That's cool, 14. So what have we got then? We've got Vector Pilot. Vector Pilot and the Vectrex. Vectrexians that we're going to be trying out later on. Excellent. Barbarian on the Commodore 64 on a large screen. Classic. Awesome. Absolutely wicked. What's that? Is it an Everdrive? It is Mortal Kombat 3 on that at the moment. People are rocking out that. Absolutely awesome. We've got Smash Brothers on the Wii U. That's the uh, main tournament for this evening. And the massive projector. Yeah, on the projector. Over that side we've got... Uh, We've got Virtual Fighter on the Saturn. On the Saturn. The classic Namco shooter Dragon Spirit Spirit on the go at the moment. Oh, I've got to have a go at that. (laughs) <laughs> it is awesome, absolute classic. Not quite as good as the PC Engine version, but you know, pretty damn good uh, conversion from the arcade machine. Then we've got Time Splitters. We've got that on four player. At yeah. the moment. Classic, brilliant, brilliant. We should do Time Splitters four. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. I think got a black TV. What's going on there? Black TV. That is a PlayStation Two. I think we've got on that. Put your pop uh, Buster Move as well. We've got the Mario Kart tournament. We've got a time trial Charles on Donut Plains. And then we've got Tony Hawk's on the PlayStation 1. It's the score challenge on Warehouse, the, uh, the very first level of the game. And then finally, on the second big project, we the have... The second tournament, we have Ma- oh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Looking beautiful. Brilliant. Should be a good night, Lewis. Awesome. Bye. I didn't see, hear any bats there. No, there isn't. There's pictures of bats, but not actual bats. Ah, okay. Mm. Excellent, though. And I've also just come back from the British Touring Car Championship at Alton Park, which sounds like this. That is quite loud. It is very loud. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been up to, mate? Well, 
I've not been around too much, actually, because I've been on holiday. I was away for a few, well, almost, almost a week in Madrid. And I was looking out for some arcade stuff there, because wife found some uh, bits and bobs that we might be able to do and go to. We went to a retro shop there called Cholo Games, which is a really nice game shop. Did a lot of console stuff there. Um, all really nice-looking gear, really nice box stuff, real collector's pieces. A little bit expensive, but they were really nice pieces there. Some stuff I haven't seen for a long, long time. A lot of box stuff as well, but no arcade stuff, I don't think. And we tried to find a, um, an arcade uh, in a sort of like, it was like a, a chain of um, sort of fruit machine places, like a betting gambling place called Soul Park. And downstairs, we'd found, we'd found a, a post from a while ago of an arcade sort of in the basement. And we, we did find one place, it was the wrong place. We found this other place, and it was actually the right place. And where you go downstairs to the arcade, it had been blocked off. And I thought, oh, this is yeah. a bad sign. We sort of went to the, the guy behind the counter who didn't have, know a word of English. <laughs> it was pretty good. Mm. And um, we said, oh, is any video going to show him a picture of the phone with it on? He went, oh, no, 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 no more. It's gone. I said, oh, great. And as you looked downstairs, you could see what it looked like. But it was everything you know, cordoned off. You couldn't get to it. So that was a real bummer. But, oh. you know, Madrid was lovely. Really, really nice place. Uh, lovely people. Oh, lovely weather. Really, really nice. Just yeah. sort of hanging about in the sun and drinking and eating. It's such really nice. <laughs> really nice place to visit. I'll definitely go there again. But unfortunately, no arcades. Oh, dear. I did go to a, like a flea market there. Sadly, no fleas. No, um, what do they call them, a flea I, market for that? I don't know. I think half the stuff's supposed to have fleas in it. You just come away disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I, I found um, a few bits and bobs with console stuff, but nothing special, really. Mm. Uh, certainly no wrecks. There's, there's a lot of sort of clothes and, you know, bric-a-brac, and there was a lot of traders there as well. So bit of a bit of a down on that, really. It wasn't much I, was, I thought... You know, I was going to get there, but never mind. I have also been up to fiddling with my asteroids when I got back from there. Because I've got all the bits of it now. I've got some bits the other week. And I thought, for some reason, the wrong bits. So I was sent yeah. an AR2, which is an audio regulator board. And that's the one you normally have in bigger games like um, Battlezone and uh, Dig Dug and some of the other Atari games. Because uh, it obviously need more voltages and stuff. So I thought, oh, God, that's the wrong one. They sent me the wrong one. Because, you know, it's a bit of a mix-up. Easy to mix them up, what they are, because there's loads of different things. So I was leaving it and leaving it. And um, James RGP rang me up and said, oh, yeah. I, I heard about your, your problems with the AR2. He said, oh, you can actually use an AR2. And that's the one that was in that machine, because he knows about the machine. I said, oh, brilliant. So I got home that night, plugged it all in, sort of set my mind at rest, plugged it all in. Have a working asteroid. How nice is that? Quite operational. Brilliant. It's actually got Asteroids Deluxe. I've sent the Asteroids Deluxe board, which I'm absolutely happy about because I prefer Asteroids Deluxe anyway. So I've got yeah. all that in there. It's all working nice. There's a bit of a wonky wire on the um, on the monitor. If, it's, if you sort of hit the side of the machine gently, the, the vectors go all funny on the screen. But I think it's just a, a really simple resoldering or a bit of a wire issue, that's all. I'll fix that easy. Right. So I've ordered... A control panel overlay, a new one for it, because this one's you know, a little bit flaky and a little bit rusty in pairs, but not too bad. So I've ordered one of them. Uh, I've also ordered a new big blue capacitor for it, so I want a brand new one in there. I'm going to yeah. get a probably a monitor refurb kit and an AR refurb kit as well, so I can mm -hmm. sort of fix all the capacitors and change them around to all brand new ones, so I don't have to worry about them. I will do. There's a little mod you can do on an AR as well called the Sense mod, which stops it sending massive voltages to the boards when it thinks it's not getting enough. Uh, so that's the sort of uh, standard thing to do to it. Uh, just loaded cosmetic stuff. But I was playing it. I love it. Really yeah. like it. Yeah, it's a really cool little game. I haven't played that much. Yeah, it's a good one. But I think you need to play it on a, on a vector machine, really. 
Yeah. But I've been looking into the night I was in bed, I was just at the Mac on, I was just looking at a few things on there. And someone recommended the AAE emulator, which is um, specifically, it's like a kind of main, but it's specifically for vector games. And what it does, it does a load of really interesting GL uh, effects to the screen. So if you're playing like on a really sharp LCD, you've got, as a blooming effect and the sort of the glow around the vectors. Oh, yeah. And apparently it's it's like the closest thing you can get to a vector game, you know, without having a vector monitor in there. But it would never be exactly the same, but it does look pretty good though. I'll have to try it out so it looks like. Just for PCs, obviously, I wouldn't have a, you know, have one in a, in a vector cab, especially when there's a decent vector monitor in there. But you can obviously play the color vector games as well. Ah, there's awesome. color vector monitors for a 14 inch for that machine would be like unicorn poo. Very difficult <laughs> yeah. to find. Sparkling uh, unicorn poo, even. Oh, even worse. Yeah. Shall I tell you what else I've been up to? Yes, score, mate. I've been Skyping a guy in America who yes. owns the Arcade Heroes website. Okay. Actually. He runs it, and it's the, the the first site that people go to for the up-and-coming arcade news. Oh. And there's also lots of excellent little retrospectives on there. So if we put that interview at the end of the casting of the pod... Yes, this is uh, the Skype interview with Adam Pratt. It's a really good interview. He's a great guy. So, excellent. And very knowledgeable. Cool. You had to step late for that one, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Difference. Yeah, because he's in Utah and I'm in Blackburn. Yes, indeed. Blackburn, the hub of the world. I, I think it could be. Well, seeing as arcade clubs there, I think they'd be. A hub of the arcade world. <laughs> well, another thing I was going to say about the Asteroids as well. When you play Asteroids Deluxe on an Asteroids cabinet or vice versa, mm. the pinouts are almost exactly the same. But the left and the right are reversed. So when you press yeah. right, it goes left and vice versa. And also, the start button... And the coin switch button, which is you know where you, your coin eventually hits to get the game going, are reversed as well. So you've got to open mm-hmm. the coin door and flick the little switch on the coin mech to get the game going. But there has been some ROMs hacked and changed slightly to, to put these around the right way. So you can play Asteroids Deluxe on a normal Asteroids machine without having to mech about with all the, you know, swapping the wire, the leafs over on the left and right and all the wires and stuff. And it's done by Martin White, Gudler, one of our mates. Yeah. Who's an, an absolute vector hero. He's really good at the, this. He's, he's mucked about with the programs and his hack programs. He's done stuff for Vectrex. He's done all sorts of stuff. So he really understands the uh, the vectors. So I dumped the ROMs from Asteroids Deluxe earlier because you need to know what version I was running. Uh, so hopefully I should have some uh, ROMs. So I won't have to muck, muck about with all the, um, the wires on there. So it'll be just perfect. Oh, that's good. Really if cool. you... If you left the coin mech thing reversed, wouldn't that, instead of putting money in, wouldn't that give you money, which would be quite good? That'd be awesome, but it'd be old 10p's, wouldn't it? Can't spend them anymore. Can you not take them to the bank? Two shillings. No, they won't have them anymore. (laughs) Two shillings. You're spitting them out the front when you press the start button. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be good, that. It is a pain having to open the door, though, because you've got to open the coin door, which turns the machine off. So then you've got to reach in, you've got to pull this little switch out, which is like the kill switch when the door's closed. You've got to pull it out to keep it on all the time. Yeah. And it's just a bit a bit cumbersome. I'd rather have it just as it should be. You know, just press the cone button on the left-hand side and, and off you go. Yeah. So it should be modern then before, before long. It'd be pretty cool. Excellent. Other than that, I've had a few games on uh, Death Race. I actually played it with someone. Yeah. Today. The wife had a quick go with me one day, and she was sort of getting used to it. But my brother was around over the weekend with my mum and stuff. I showed him in the arcade because mum was quite interested about seeing the arcade. She was hearing me talking about it. He'd never seen it. And I said, I got to play Death Race. And he was playing it. And I think he ran over seven gremlins because he was new to it. And I ran over 16, I think. But he really liked it. He's, he's, I was telling him how old it was. He was astonished by you know how old these things are and stuff. 
Mm, I've seen the video of you playing it. Yeah, the video I put out, the iPhone I was I was videoing it on didn't pick up the sound very well because the sound is quite loud. Um, yeah. But the, the, it does need a few things doing to the PCB to make the sound a bit better because one of the sounds is slightly louder on one side than the other. So right. what I have to do is, is replace some pots on the PCB because these ones are like nearly 40 years old. Mm. Uh, and just hopefully get the sounds a bit better on that. But the, you can hear them pretty well when you're playing it. I don't want them too loud because before they were ultra, ultra loud. It was deafening. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a really good little thing. Like, all I need to do now is just change a few things on, on the monitor maybe to get the, the screen over a little bit because it's over to one side a bit too far. So hopefully yeah. a cap kit and maybe some tinkering with the monitor might bring that back. But other than that, it's a lot of fun. And I'm just waiting now for the new, the brand new printed thin perspex overlay for the bezel, the screen bezel, because the one I've got is yeah. really, really scratched. It's beyond belief. Yeah. Um, so I hope to get a new one of those soon. Yeah, that'll be the machine finished, I think. Excellent. Yeah. I'll have to come down and play test it. Yes, it's a lot of fun. It's a really simple, silly little game, but it's a lot of fun. As you as you knock the gremlins down... Yeah, they turn into little... Um... Obstacles, isn't it? Yeah, they turn into little gravestones. So you, the, the more the screen gets filled up, the harder the game gets. It is, yeah, you've got to try and sort of get them in one area and keep running the bleeders over. So the world record, what is it? It's not very high, is it? it's 23. So you can do this, you know. I've you got can... 19 before. You can do it. Come on. <laughs> we could, yeah. And since I'm one of about 20 people in the whole world that's got them, <laughs> it's a pretty easy one to do, I think. But, yeah, it's the, it's quite a rare game, so it's, you know. But they they have got one at Fun Spot, so I presume I presume the record was made at Fun Spot because a lot of people go through there and play the games. Mm. They've got a really nice yellow one, which is even rarer than the black one I've got. There's a black one, a white one, and a yellow one. Yeah. I think the black one's the most common, which I've got. But I think there's only there was only ever... I think 500 in total made. So there's not mm. many. I think a lot of them have already wow. died in, in the last 40 years as well and been scrapped or whatever. Bit of yeah. a shame. Yeah, so been sort of tinkering with a few things. Playing Volfide, our game for this week. I didn't bother changing the board over because I think I told you about the sound on it, which we'll talk about later on. But I've been playing that yeah. a little bit as well. But not had as much time on it as I c- wish I could have with work and being away and my mum and brother down over the weekend and stuff. So... Not a lot of time to play, really, unfortunately. Oh, that's a shame. Anyway, I think that's about all we've been doing lately. Uh, let's do some arcade news from around the world and local areas. Yes, I've got a video for you this week, Vic. I had a look at this. It's I'm well impressed. It? But the thing I was a bit disappointed about is mm. I missed this place. I don't think I saw this place when I was in Japan. Tell us what it is. Tell us what it's it is. It's a retro video game near Shinjuku in Tokyo. And it's a, one of their game centres, and the bottom floor is, well, both two floors, the bottom floor, full of candy cabs, loads of old shooters, loads of old Toa Plan stuff, yep. just fantastic stuff. And all the all the 29-inch screens look brilliant. And you go upstairs, and there's loads more fighters, but, oh, I could spend a week in there. Lots of classic, brilliant shoot-em-ups. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the, oh, um, the game centres, which is what the, the Japanese called arcades, game, game centres, they do have a lot of candy cabs. Obviously, that's what they were used to over there. But most of the ones I saw were playing vertical shooters. I think they must be really popular there. Yeah. You know, going from 1942 right up to Espergaluda 2 and things like that and, you know, all these different really cool games. And, yeah, really, really cool. You'd love it, mate, honestly. Yeah, I think I would. You hear the sounds of all those games going as well. It's lovely. Yeah. But that particular one in Shinjuku, I don't think I saw that one because most of the ones I saw were in Akihabara. Like the, there was mm. like the the Taito Hay and in the place like that and Akihabara isn't that a spell to turn you into a weasel? It could well do. Akihabara. 
And I'm, oh, I've just turned into a weasel. <laughs> but when I was there, it was an awesome, they call it um, Electronic Village. It's loads of uh, electronics and games and all that sort of stuff there. And it's really, really cool. Mm. But that video is excellent. It's quite a long video as well. It's really nice. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? They've even got sort of a retro, um, I think it's upstairs when he goes to the back of it. They've got like a retro sort of cubby hole. And they've got like uh, a pole position two sit down Namco one, the rare yeah. one. They've yeah. got like a moving base power, a moving power drift. Yeah, got like quite a few, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. And they've got a load of pinballs as well. I never saw mm. any pinballs when I was in Japan, I don't think, apart from some old ones in the Dex complex. There was a few there, no Daiba. Mm. But they were quite old ones, I think. The Mario one, which is quite cool. Mm. What else? What else is there? It's more news. There is an actual Twin Galaxies arcade again. Ah. Since, well, Walter Day shut it down in 1984, didn't he? But yeah. now it has reopened well. It, apparently it is part of the... Yeah, Twin Galaxy Arcade and Esports Centre is, is the result of a collaboration between Twin Galaxies and the organisation that runs a museum of pinball in Bannon, California. Cool. I, I think they're the ones that have 750 pins. Wow, that's a lot. So the arcade is not open to the public. It's for events, special events and stuff. Still pretty cool, though. Yeah, so there is now an official Twin Galaxies Arcade again. Excellent. And next, next thing, Star Wars Battle Pod, which I played... Do you know, I wasn't. I thought it was good, and yeah. I like the the feeling, the motion really gets you because you're completely encased by the screen. Yeah. But it that being said, it just is an on rail shooter. But it's it's pretty good. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. I did the first level on the first go, but that is the easy one where you blow up the Death Star. Yeah. And then you finish. That's your two quid over with. So I put another two quid. Two in. pound. That's twenty two, ten pences. Two pound. Two yeah. pound. I'm not paying that. That's insane. The American guy, Adam Pratt, says it's th- some places charge $3 over there ago. Wow. Which is still less than £2, isn't it? Yeah. But I think but when he's done that first level, you've got to put another $2 in. But the default is $0.75. Cents. Really? So, yeah. So the operators ramp it up. Wow. Well, yeah. there is a reason for that. If if the rest of our listeners have listened to No Quarter the other week, Rob O'Hara had played one. Yes. And he was saying that um, you can actually buy one of these machines. Yeah. I've... I've I haven't nicked his news. I haven't nicked their news. Honestly, I got their I got the news at the same time as I was listening to their podcast. All right. Well, to, to cut yeah. it short, I think it's thirty five thousand dollars to buy one. Yeah. Which is about twenty thousand pounds, something like that, in UK money. Or the ultimate edition, or whatever they yeah. call it, is ninety eight thousand dollars. <gasps> oh my lord! Because they, they put some like leather seats on it and some fangled bits. I don't think the, the game's any different, though, is it? No, it's got to be good seats, isn't it, for that upgrade? Yes. Mm. That is ridiculous. I don't think I'll be buying one for the for my arcade. You know what I mean? No, I don't think I'd. I'd, I'd probably mm. get something smaller to start with me. Yeah, I think so. Like a Game Boy. Also, Sega is 55 years old. Yeah, that was in the news recently, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shame they haven't done anything nice for a while. No, they, they, what are they putting out at the minute? Those remakes for the 3DS, the yeah. Outruns, they're getting good reviews after yeah. Burner because okay. they make good use of the 3D technology. Ah, yeah, I suppose they would, yeah. I've, I've not yeah. actually got a 3DS. I've got a normal DS, mm. but I never had a 3DS, unfortunately. 1DS. Uh, yeah, 1DS. Well, Have two. you seen them 2DS things? Yeah, I quite like the look of them. They're sort of a flat thing that's already opened out. Yeah. I quite like them. I don't know why, but I, I haven't got time to play them. No, I've got all these different busy. consoles. I've got time to play the damn things, unfortunately. Oh, next weekend, we will yes. be meeting up again. Yes. Till I see you again. 
Arc Aid 3 is next week in Cambridge, Cambridge <laughs> Computer Museum. Yes, we'll be down there talking to people. Yeah, uh, let's have a talk about what we're going to do, because we're not sure. I, I did suggest we were going to do a live podcast there, but we didn't really have enough time to sort it all out. We're not sure who'd want to actually listen to it. We don't want to be doing it to uh, a, an audience of four people mm. or less, knowing us. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is sort of just talk, walk around, chat to a few people. We might have a little high-score competition of our own on the 61 machine there, playing the yeah. classics. Mm. We'll have a couple of games each, and we can to- total up who, who wins, me, obviously. Yeah. I don't think we do. It's got 1942 on it, you the day. Yeah, I played that earlier on today with the decent music. Yeah. Oh, not the no. old music, the decent, the new stuff that we've been hacked into there. We've but, promised not to talk about this game. Oh, yeah, we, we did. Shut up. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. I was like my brother play it, actually, because he said, oh, what games are any good? And I've shown a few games, and he quite got into it as well. I said, oh, Sean can get over a million on it. He went, whoa, I can get 10,000. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah, he's a bit weird like that. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got Silver Fox uh, Sarge coming up with me as well. I'm giving him a lift yes. up to, uh, to Arcade 3 as well, so he'll, he'll enjoy that. I'm sure he will. Right into it. I'll give him a thrashing on Killer Instinct again, tell him. Oh, yeah, yeah, you probably will. I don't know. Have they got that there? I don't know. But Did hopefully you know we'll, we'll get a few machines fixing and, and play a few things as well and have a chat to other people. Yeah, just talk about what they're doing and yeah, about the place itself. It'd be interesting, I think, because I haven't seen it yet. It's a nice place. It's a nice place to look mm. around and play, actually. It's real good fun. So, yeah, if anyone wants to come up there and meet us, we'll be there with our T-shirts on. Yep. But not our new ones. They're being printed as we speak, aren't they? Kind of, I think, yeah. Excellent. Right then, let's do and do some pickups. You any pickups? No. Nil point. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, uh, I had the AR2, which was kindly sent to me for the asteroids, and the big blue capacitor that came. But I've ordered a new big blue, a brand new one, because this is an old stock one. But that's about it, really. I've not really, uh, not really had any new stuff, which is a bit of a bummer. So a bit of a whack wire for me as well. Well, you have loads of pickups, though, don't you? You had loads yeah, last Yeah, I've bought new machines for a while, but I'm sure... Actually, Alex sent me uh, a link to a machine that he knows I'm interested in. I have my evil eye on it. But I've got nowhere to put it, so I can't have it. I think you're going to have to limit yourself to 12 new machines <laughs> a year at this well, rate. Well, the thing is, I've not got enough room now to have any more more. So if I do want a new mm. one, I've got to get rid of an old one. Rather like our fantasy cabs, but this is real life in the garage cabs. Yeah. Anyway, and we should do some feedback, because we have got lots of feedback. Here at Vamino, he's talking about Podcast 34 with the Ollie mm. interview. He says, I'm a little behind with these broadcasts, but this has been my favourite episode so far. I enjoyed that interview. More of the same, please. Yep. Loads of people have got onto us about the interview with Ollie because uh, he's such a prolific collector and he has just about yeah. everything and multiples of everything. It's quite interesting to listen to him. He's, he's good to talk to because he's got a lot of stories about collecting and stuff as well. Uh, we got one from a guy called Ed Horse and Striker, one of our other listeners. Keep it the great work. We will try. <laughs> Neil1637, woohoo, this should get me through the week. Oh, a week of half term daddy care duties. I think oh, you'll yeah. find that she goes, woohoo! Yeah. That tronance, uh oh. Just listen to it now. Huh? I've convinced myself that Sean had pipped me on 1942 and was keeping it secret in order to surprise me on the podcast. Another excellent podcast, a surprise omission though. No extra ping, ping, ping shout out to whoever it was that sought out your Nurk hotel room, hee hee. Yes, thank you very much for that tronance. You can have one of these. 
And because you asked, you can have one of these as well. <laughs> That's a reverse pin. Thank you very much, though. It's very kind of you. Very kind of you. Mappy24, who's actually Ian Cole. Ah, it's him. Who can get the mega score. Yeah, he might be after to be banned will... soon, I think. We might we'll have to ban him. He's too good and everything. He's put, great podcast, guys. I have to agree with Sean that 1942 music should not be messed with. He's not banned. He's elevated to listener Rebound. of the month. Unbanned. Unbanned. <laughs> oh, also saying he stopped playing 1942 until they get that, till someone can put the revision B-ROMs on for him. I'm having that problem yeah, you with keep it as well. getting to the point where you lose your extra life um, thing, don't you? So you don't get any extra lives on there. Yeah. That's got to be a real pain, that. Yeah, there's sometimes you just can't avoid it where you get to some of the boss planes and they're worth 30,000 and yeah, you know tip you over. You, yeah and you can't do it you've got to just bite the bullet well, I think. Pain, isn't it? yeah that's from mappy24 ian thank you for that silver fox sarge we talked about earlier i listened last night come 2 a.m i was finished and had a long post written which i was writing as i went along and bam the laptop died and i lost it all Dole. take two Dole. great podcast as always this time one and a half hours is not enough guys you're slacking Oh, easy. Misfit Mame is old, like very old. Remember I said you could play different versions of games, hacked versions of games on, on Misfit Mame? Well, yeah. he's, he's told us. He told us. We've been telt. It's now called HB Mame. So don't get Misfit Mame, everyone else. Get HB Mame. And it has more hacks added. Uh, Robert adds them as he becomes aware of them. And I've told him about a few that have come out on the forum, on the UK VAC forum. And I will be telling about the 1942 music one, where they've redone the music. All this talk of Commodore 64 makes me want one again, along with the Commodore 16. Anyone selling one? Uh, great scores on 1942, and don't worry, Victor, you're not alone. I'm pants it as well. Now listen here, Sarge. I didn't say I was pants at it. I'm just not very really good at it. No, I'm rubbish at it. Yeah, so HB MAME. Uh, and I think now, I think I did read that the, the 1942 with the, the updated music has been added, so you can actually play that in main now, in HB main. It's quite cool. I wow. actually altered my ROMs on my main, so I play it in normal main. But this one has been added as a new yeah. version, which is really cool. Right. Synonym mm-hmm. 9. I very much enjoyed number 37. It was very energetic, but it might be because it was a sunny day. It, it was. Was it a sunny day? I can't remember. It was a long time ago, two weeks ago. And the song that we use for the intro is a masterpiece. Can you? He wants us to play more of it on the intro and outro. Yeah, well, I think, uh, Hannes, Sinon 9, if you go to onto Facebook and look for the band Iris, you can probably download or even buy their albums yourself. Very good. Really mm. good there. And that's a remix, on a remix album called Hydra, if you want that version, and a slightly different version, which is cool as well. Mm. Uh, we've got Charlie Farr. Great listen, as always. Only problem for me is Vic's incredibly resonant voice. Which makes my crappy PC speakers buzz. If I turn the podcast volume down, I can't hear it properly while shooting invading aliens. Dilemmas. I think that was just to do with the editing process. I was we're gonna sort that out and getting some things coming soon for that, so sorry about that. My fault. Um Tronads is back again. It sneaked back into the he feedback did, list. Nineteen forty two supercharger is a good 1942 ROM oh. hack, surprisingly not mentioned in the podcast. Sean's research skills are slipping. Do you know, I didn't do any research on the sequels okay. for the game because well, I was so into the well, original. Supercharger isn't actually a version, it's a hack, a ROM hack, which is probably yeah. on HB main. And after we've done this, mm. I'm going to go and find HB main and get all the ROMs for it because there seems to be lots of quite fun, different games. You know, they've, they've mucked about with the graphics and the sound and maybe the levels. That sounds quite cool. 
What if it's got like ultra fast mm. fire on it and stuff like that, and maybe different weapons? I don't know. Sounds interesting though. Mm. Alpha One, Ol, uh, 1944 and 19XX are CPS2 games, and both are maze balls. <laughs> WTG Bob, Boop, Oi Sean and Vic, leave us bearded hipsters alone. <laughs> yeah, bearded hipsters at the arcade club. Well, they're all they are invading. Uh, Neil, 1637. Hi, guys. Again. Just listened to the latest instalment as I was putting together some of the finishing touches to my Zack Invaders restoration. Well done. It took my mind off the drying paint. Loved the 1942 section. Clearly Sean's favourite game ever. Poor Mrs. Holly. <laughs> I've never heard of, let alone play this week's game, Volfide. But we'll give it a go on MAME and my frustratingly crap laptop keyboard. Oh, you don't want to be playing on a laptop keyboard. No. Uh, this is from Minwar. Do you know how we're not talking about 1942? is not going well. Yeah, okay. It isn't, is it? Mm. The thing about the thing I don't like about 1943 is saying is where the energy always goes down. That's yep. me as well. I know it adds a new dynamic, deciding whether to collect the POWs or weapons, but it seems a bit unfair. Yeah, it does. Love the music, though. I like all the other series, though, generally. 1944 is cool, but it doesn't feel as good compared to the others due to the monitor orientation. Yeah, it's a horizontal I, perhaps one. Perhaps it that, is yeah. a... Mm-hmm. Is there? I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, Andrew Hannay. Hello, Stephen Carl. <laughs> Although you talked about Gyrus, I don't think you mentioned during the 1942 show that Yoshiki Okamoto was also responsible for Gyrus, which is another fantastic game worth reviewing. Definitely. Mm. 1942 had great memories for me, as not only do I remember playing it back in the 80s at the Students' Union, it was the first board set that I required, and when I first got back into the hobby from a member on the UK VAC forum back in 2000. Speaking of which, you might have recognised my name from UK VAC, JAMA Plus, UK Pinball Forums. That's where I've seen it before. Keep up the great work. Madsteed.com, who plays a lot of the games with us on Twitter, is put, just thought I'd take the time out, say how much I enjoy the show and appreciate the hard work that goes into it. I grew up in South Wales with no local arcade, so my experience was limited to the machines at the local leisure centre, chip shops, family-friendly pubs, etc. My earliest arcade memory is playing a Space Invader cocktail with a friend in a family's pub around 1985, so it would have been old, that cocktail by then, wouldn't it? Also, holidays and day trips to the seaside gave me the chance to visit arcades. However, having limited monies to spend, I decided to stick with what I knew. Yeah, I did that. Way. Yeah, if you got if you got a pound off your dad, you just put you got your ten p's in the ones that you knew you could last a bit yeah, on. Didn't you? I was pretty good at that as a kid. Yeah, this is where I find the podcast really helpful in helping me decide what games to try, and the friendly high score competitions <laughs> gives me a reason to keep playing when normally I just would have given up. I think we're going to close these ice scores just to us two because we're getting thrashed. They yeah, they're, they're pretty mm. horrible, these people. They're, they're making me seem even worse than I actually am. That's pretty low already. <laughs> <laughs> Always got a fantasy Go cab on, list. Tell us what they are. Right, Mad Steve's fantasy cab list. Lead Storm. Yeah. A vertical car shoot em up, okay. I think. I have to look that up. I think mm. that is. Yeah, we've covered Pang's Mad Steve, so go back and listen we to We like Pang. Pang's excellent. Snow Brothers, Toad Plan, well done, lad. Uh, Star Wars, Mr. Do, World Rally Championship. That's a good little game, that one. It's yeah, really good. The Gale Co. Gale, Gale Co. Yeah. How do you spell that? G-A-E-L-C-O. Gale Co. Turtles. He likes turtles. Ah, you like that, don't is you? Is he thinking of Ninja Turtles or Turtles? No, mm, Turtles know. is a pretty... One of the games on there, I think he's probably talking about Ninja Turtles, which I hate intensely. Some of them like pizza. The other ones That's don't. True. They don't. They just like little bits of lettuce. 
Sega Rally 2, Operation Wolf, and Ooh, Rally X. That's a good old game. That's a wicked little game. Anyway, enough of this nonsense for me. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Madsteed.com. Ian Ski. Oh, my Lord. He's written a lot, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, still listening to the podcast. Haven't got through it yet, but I'm enjoying it very much so far. Massive thanks to the birthday shout out. He was 92, remember? Much appreciated. <laughs> I haven't yet had a proper go on 1942, but what another classic, well loved game it is. Actually, my housemate fell in love with RGP's Cabaret, which is the one you've got in your front room. Went up to the New Frontier yeah. Arcade last year. He reckoned to be on his top five list of cabs to get. Pity he's not a collector. Oh, he's working on him, though. Congratulations to Sean for getting hold of the cab for himself. Will this make him take the plunge and purchase his ne- his first dedicated machine? We're working on you there, aren't we? Yeah, I, th- I think I will get one, yeah. He eventually. likes the Vectrex homebrew games we mentioned as well. They've been very impressive. And hopefully, at the end of the month, I'm going to get Vector Pilot for my birthday. Oh, very good it is. In regards to what I've been up to recently, I'm still plodding along with the Gorf restoration. Well done. Got the control panel all rebuilt. It's all clean and shiny now. That's a nice-looking machine. As well as that, I started working on my new Namco pole position cockpit. Where did you get a Namco pole position cockpit from? Wow. I don't know. Asda? I don't think so, unless it's a Japanese Asda. Actually, this has been dominating my time at the Bank Holiday weekend and last week, but I'm really getting into it. Just love it when cabs start to clean up after some elbow grease. I'm sure you know all about this, Victor, looking at your death race cab. What a beauty. Thank you very much. It'll be great, great to see you guys at Arcade next week. Really looking forward to that one and the meet at Steve's, which I'm not going to. I can't do Steve's meet afterwards. Are you going to that? No, nor can I, because I've got a, a meet-up with my mother and uh, stepdad here. Yeah. Uh, as Ness for Life Phil said in one of the Arcade highlights of the year for me, and the 10 pence guys being there will make it even better. Thank you very much. Mm. You know, he's mentioned about um, hopefully you're going to take the plunge and, and buy your first dedicated machine. Yeah. I don't know about a dedicated one, because you need to play a lot of games, don't you? Yeah. You can't just have one. But I tried to, tried to sort of uh, pull your arm one way the other day by offering you a brand new PCB for free if you actually get one. That Thunder and Lightning game I was on about? Yeah. I've got a Thunder and Lightning game, which I don't really play. I think it's quite a good shooter. Thunder Dragon, is it? Thunder Dragon, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thunder and Lightning is a totally different game. That's an that's a Arkanoid-type game. Yeah, so if, when you get your cab... That is yours. Thank also. you very much. You know, I was. It's weird when you messaged me because I was looking at that game on Mame about oh, really? about two days earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like it? I do. It's a bit of a mad shooter. It's a, a vertical one. It's right up your street, I think. Mm. Yeah. So as soon as you get a cab, you can have that old butt. Also. I like shooting mad, up mad streets. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is Zipper, another excellent gamer. He is. Too yeah, good. Very good, very good. Hey guys, thought I'd come here to check out the show note links and leave feedback. Death Race, Death Race looks superb. What a machine. Older than me, but looking yeah. much better. Enjoying the podcasts, especially the little projects you make time for each week. An electronic marquee, custom CNC volume play, helping to set up play Blackpool, followed by a shotgun wedding with someone else's 1942 <laughs> camp. It's good listening. I just thought about that. Yeah, is RGP James okay about that? You marrying his cab? He doesn't know. I don't think. Oh, keep it quiet. You better yeah. um, elope together. He's asked for it back to go up to Nerg. I've said what? What are you on about? No. Yeah, what? What cab? Yeah. We don't know what you want. We haven't been broadcasting over the airwaves about that cabinet or anything. Oh no. I, I need to Not leave. Us. Yeah. I was. He was at Batcave <laughs> last night, so I had, I had to leave quickly. Um, some off. belated thoughts on 1942, says Zipper. I just cannot practically lose, use the loop to evade, basically because I've not seen my death more than a nanosecond before it occurs. Yeah. <laughs> the bullet trajectories are pure evil. Now you get to learn them. It's like any game, you do get to learn it. Nope, they're evil, I agree with that. 
Definitely. I think it's the mass suicide, the mass of suicidal pl- planes that ruin my concentration, especially when a couple start looping around the rear. Oops, I'm not used to that at all. I did. We did manage to beat the first big plane using a continue. That's not bad, really. Yeah, I see. I, I didn't. I didn't bother because I'm rubbish. And it's also said of any of either of us played Hienko Alien. He's the second guy to mention this. You know. Yes, uh, Septic Melon, who does the Great Bit blog, mentioned this game. Yeah. I think it was a version we talked about a little while ago. There's another version, and it sort of came out uh, before. I think it inspired Panic. Yeah. Space Panic. That's kind of game. It's one of the first kind of platform games. I should suppose. we put that on the list? I think we should, yeah. Let's put it on there. Heinekyo Alien. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Heineken Alien. Uh, Heineken Alien. He'd be very wobbly, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, very yeah. wobbly indeed. Zipper also gave us quite a bit of feedback about Volfire, which we're going to read out when we do the review on Volfire, because it's quite good, actually. We've had lots of feedback on Volfire, really positive and negative from from various people. But yeah, we'll discuss that later. Mm Mm-hmm. That's about it for the feedback. We've only got a few shout-outs to do, but let's do shout-outs. One of them is to Paul Nerminen. Nermix from the Intellivisionaries podcast, because I know he hates the term shout-out. So, in your <laughs> face, Paul! In your face! Ah. I'm giving a shout-out to Adam Pratt from, for agreeing to the interview of Arcade Heroes. Excellent industry insights, and check out his site, arcadeheroes.com. Even if you're not into the new games, he does these fantastic little retrospectives, like he's just done one on Sega. Um, actually, he did one on the Sega Electromechanical games, because everyone else was covering their normal Sega games. Oh, wow, cool. He's done, he's done one on, like, recently, Pac-Man's 35th, Star Wars. Right. Really, really interesting stuff. He knows his stuff. And also, I'm giving Phil V85 a shout-out, because he has now got 726,000 on the pilot of time, the time pilot. Guess what, Phil? That's a colossal score. That's a big thing. And it's on that. the standard settings, I think he's got it on, not the slightly easier oh, that's settings. That's really good. Yeah. How many times has he gone around the game? At least two, sure. Oh, he told me. I think he got to level 19, so he's almost four, four loops through it. Well done, old son. That's really good. It is good, isn't it? The last shout-out goes to Martin White, Gudler, for his help with my Asteroids ROM jiggery-pokery, which is going to help me out incredibly. So thanks for that, Martin. All right, then. What console slash computer game should have been in the arcades? This is an excellent choice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. From Lesley 70. Yes, I remember Trailblazer on the Commodore 64. That was a pretty cool bouncy ball type on parallax scrolling type game, wasn't it? 3D. Yeah. Check up checkerboard coming towards you with holes in, and you and you've got your bouncy ball, and you've got to jump over these holes. Yeah, really. Very, cool that'd game. be brilliant game. That brilliant arcade I, game. I got a feeling I played this on the Atari Eight Bit as well. There was a few games similar to this. Mm. I remember that one, but I remember it on the Commodore Sixty Four. Excellent. Neil sixteen thirty seven, the Killing Game Show on Atari ST by Cygnosis, an awesome platformer shoot 'em up sideways scroller type thing. I haven't seen this. I don't know this one. I presume it was on the Amiga as well. Could been. In that sort of yeah. If it's on the Amiga, I can actually get it from my Amiga, so I might have to check mm. that one out. I've got one. Monty Zuma's Revenge. Oh, what a game. On the Commodore 64. I loved this. I played this on Atari 8-bit yeah. as well as the Commodore 64. Rock hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's very hard. Uh, the animations on it are really cool. The, the rolling skull heads, Scullington heads. Scullington heads, there, yeah. Ace. I do think yeah, I finished r- rock it. Rock hard game. It was, you finished I it? I think I did, yeah. 
you are some sort of savant. <laughs> that was really hard, that game. Really good, though. But it's been brought to my attention because it's just been re-released for the Android uh, platforms, oh, wow. mobile phones and stuff. Yeah. Oh, my, so, so they thought, we'll get this rock-hard game and we'll make people play it on a stupid, slidey, touchy screen as well. Oh, I can't anything. That, you know, you just, I can't do them. No, I don't do them. They don't, not, they don't feel me. right. Puzzle games are great on phones, but arcade ones, I don't think they work very well. Not unless you've got an external controller, which you can get for them. Yeah, yeah, you can, but you might as well just play it on uh, a, C- a C64 emulator or something like that, eh? Absolutely. What's this off-topic business? Kind of off-topic, yeah. These are retro-styled new games I've found, and I quite like the look okay. of them. There's a, an, we like those, yeah, yeah. an arcade racer called Horizon Chase. Yes. That looks really good. And there's a, we can put links to these. There's a, there's another one that's just been kickstarted called Power Drive 2000. Yeah. Which has got futuristic graphics. Well, they would have looked futuristic in 1985. It's one of those kind of things. They would. And also, someone's done a tribute sequel to Ghosts and Goblins. Oh, nice. A tribute sequel. They're calling it Eternum. And it, it features the same little guy, Arthur, I think he's called, and the, yes. in the, in the armour that keeps falling off. He's got his white and red pants, though. Mm, I don't know what colour pants he has in this. Uh, well, I, don't, I, want, I don't want it unless he's got white and red pants. Yeah. But, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really cool game, and it's on PC, so you can download that. Excellent. All these games we talk about, I put links on the show notes so you can watch videos of them or see the websites they come from. So if you want to see what we're talking about and see for yourself... Have a look on the show notes. You can click on the show notes and you'll be able to see these things in separate windows. They're great. Mm, that Horizon Chase looks right up my street. Nice and easy, you know. Yeah, I'll have a look at that. Sounds quite good. Mm. I like the idea of the uh, tribute to Ghosts and Goblins as well. Hopefully a little bit easier. Well, it can't get harder, can it? No. No. <laughs> After all this, let's have a musical interlude and a cup of coffee, shall we? Yes. And this is the level one and two music of Marble Madness. Yeah, I'd love someone mentioned it the other day and I put the game on I struggle with the game but the the music is very nice I played the game with Kevin Savitz from the uh, Antic podcast in Portland in Oregon because he lives there and we met up uh, and he said oh, I'll play Marble Madness because he's a big Atari freak oh, I don't really like it when you play it on a proper machine two players with two trackballs it's a lot of fun it's one of those yeah. machines we, I, I didn't think much of the game a meh sort of game play it live together it's really cool anyway here's the music
Right then, after that awesome little bit of music, let's get onto our featured game review. Oh dear. Shall I do this? Yes, you better do. <laughs> right. The game is Volfide or Vorifudu. Vorifudu. Vorufaidu. My <laughs> Japanese is terrible. Anyway, it's by Taito, released in July 1989. The Mame and Clove report say it's an eight way game, but it's definitely a four way game. That is wrong. If you play it with an eight way game, you'll have trouble. And one button. Even my servo stick, which is attached to my main machine in the garage, which runs Marla, the servo stick changes automatically for each game it needs to change. So when it's playing 1942, it changes to an eight-way. When you play Pac-Man, it changes to a four-way. And it changes to an eight-way as well. So I've changed the file. Anyway, I've turned it around on the gate anyway to make it uh, a four-way. Right. Uh, and the game is very similar to Kicks, which I'm sure everyone's played. Everyone's listening to this podcast must have played Kicks before. K Q I X, pronounced Kicks. And it's supposed to be a sequel of sorts, but I would have thought Super Kicks in 1987 was supposed to be the sequel. Yeah. Hmm. It has a 68,000 CPU, so it's a 16 bit P- uh, CPU, and a Z80. Uh, the sound chip is used as a YM2203, which is oh, probably why. What has died on my one of my two Volfi PCBs? I put the PCB in the machine, which has been nicely wrapped in in um, bubble wrap and kept in a, in a plastic box up in the loft, where it's nice and dry, and clean. Uh, put it on, no sound at all, absolutely silent. Last time I played, it was perfect, and I heard on the Retro Computing Roundtable podcast today uh, a word: closet rot. And they were using that way. You put something perfectly good, perfectly usable, and it's been working away in a perfectly nice bit of storage. You come back a few months or years later, you go to use it. It doesn't work anymore. It hasn't had any shocks. hasn't had any electric, you know, over-voltage put into it. It's not been covered in syrup or anything. And for some <laughs> reason, you put it on, it doesn't work. And that's what's happened to my flipping Volfi board. I have got another one which I haven't tried. I haven't bothered to look for it. I just played it silently, which is a bit of a bit of a down on this game. Because I like the music on this game. Anyway, both of my PCBs say "Made in Japan" on the boards, so I'm not sure if they're actually the Japanese versions or not, and I'm not sure what ROM set they are. But they're different to the ones you've been playing on main. And there's a uh. bit in main, there's a bit on the first level I do that I can tell straight away whether I'm playing a PCB or the main version. Right. So you've been playing... Which version have you been playing? None, to be honest. You are a letdown, young man. Anyway. I really I struggled with this, but yeah, go on, carry there's on. There's the J- Japan version, Japan Rev 1, US Rev 1, and World Rev 1 versions. And uh, the reason I know is the secret on the first level doesn't, it doesn't work on those versions, but it works on my arcade PCB. World 1 I've been playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game's very similar to Kicks, as we said. Uh, the original Super Kicks and lots of versions of nudie draw lines about stuff to get more nudie pictures. You must have seen some of these games. There's loads of games like this with the yeah, slightly Gals curvy tweaks. And... Yeah, Gals mm. Panic, uh, Miss World 96 Nude, which sort of got it in the title, really, hasn't it? But there's an even dodgier and funnier version than this I found on Main that is a really badly done hack called Miss Mr. World 96 Nude, where you can choose muscly men as well as the ladies as backdrops, <laughs> which is just dodgy and bleh, not, not as good. 
but this is the uh, this is the the thing about Volfide. Uh, when you play the attract screen, it goes a bit like this. It was a long trip. The spaceship Monotros returned to his planet Volfide, but Volfide already changed into ruins from invasion of aliens. At the time, he caught SOS from underground. He decided to rescue the people from the aliens. Well, that was jolly decent of him, wasn't it? To decide to rescue the people of Volfide. Well done. Mm. You can't skip that, can you? You can't no, skip you've that got to put, You've got to go through it. And it reminds me of the Arkanoid start sequence. Yes. It could be the same programmer. We'll have to look that up because it's, it's Taito, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was because the graphics are very similar. Maybe it was the same graphic artist doing it, but I don't think it's the same programmer. Mm. Uh. But I immediately thought this, and even on Re- Rubbish Arkanoid and Revenge of Doe, Arkanoid 2, I really like the graphics and I like the gameplay. I'm just really terrible at it. But that's why I like this game, I think, because of the, the graphics mm. and the sounds, really. You see a little cutscene at the tar- start when the guy's telling you about this. Uh, the planet is blue, and there's a big pink thing moving around on the surface, supposed to look like a giant plasma ball, but it looks like a demented spider. Spider. Anyway, to play the game, you're a tiny spaceship on a single screen. There's no, no, there's no scrolling going on. It's a single screen game. Uh, on this screen, there's a big baddie moving around. It's usually a robot or a creature of some sort with different amounts of annoying little baddie minions floating around, chasing them around as well. The bad guys all have different attack patterns as well. And what you do is you're on the sidelines of the, of the rectangular screen. It's a vertical game as well. And you press your button to remove your shield. And then you try and fill in areas of the screen. You go from one side of the screen to another side, you know, to point to point. So when you get back to the side of the screen or another part of one of your lines, your shield comes on again so they can't hurt you. So when the aliens yeah. touch you when your shield's on and you're not pressing your button, you're safe. But when you're sort of in the open with your red trail behind you, if they touch the trail or you... If you touch you, you're dead straight away. But if they touch your trail, um, a sort of a red plasma thing chases you. And if you get back to the, the back to the safe point again before it hits you, you survive. That is the yeah. most different part about this game, which I like compared to Kicks mm. and the other ones. On Kicks, if you're drawing a line and it hits you, you're dead straight away. So you've got to be a bit yeah. careful with that. Uh, once you fill in 80% or more of the screen. The big bad guy will explode and you can go on to the next level. That's how you do it. Or you can trap the little meanies as well. You can kill them off by trapping them in, in a little part of the area as well. Yeah. Uh, as you fill the screen, you are shown the next level, but sort of greyed out. It's sort of darker colour. You are timed on the game. That's your shield. You've got like, I'm not sure how many seconds it is, but it starts at about 900 and it counts down. When your time is nearly out, this makes a funny noise and you get weird like black shots are fired at you, like a black ball. And if it hits you, it kills you. It travels quite slowly, but it does, does go for you. So it's a bit of a Mr. Hurry-up, basically. And it will eventually kill you. So you've got to try and get, get out quick. The idea is to trap the big baddie in as small an area as you possibly can by closing him down until he's too big to move. As you make the screen or his area where he can move smaller, he gets smaller as well. So he can move around. And he gets really fast later on. And the idea is to keep just nicking away at the screen until you can just trap him in a little area because when he's moving around he'll stop for a brief second and then he'll give you another second pause and then he'll fire out his his shots and they fire in different ways Uh, and sometimes there's more than one baddie a big baddie on the screen as well on the later levels but basically he'll stop do a sort of 
move and fire at you, then he'll start moving again. So the idea is to quickly get in when he's not moving. So that's the idea of trying to get him in. And you get varying bonuses for filling 80% of the screen up to 99.9% of the screen, which you max it out. I think it starts at 10,000 points for 80% when you kill him. And if you get 99.9, you get half a million points. Mm. So it can be quite a large scoring game. There are also grey power-up blocks, which when filled in, you cover them, uh, they give you bonuses and weapons. And there's a few of them here. S is speed, which is quite good, but it makes accurate small moves very, very difficult. You're too fast to move. Uh, T is a time freeze. Stops all the bad guys for nine seconds. So if you quickly get a line around the big guy, you can kill him off quickly. P stops your shield timer for a few seconds. Pretty useless, that one, I suppose, unless you're nearly running out of time. L is a laser. <laughs> R. R. Enables you to kill the small bad guys quickly. You don't have to fill them and you can just kill them with a laser. But it doesn't kill the big guy. But I think if he fires at you, it knocks his fire out. Right. Uh, C is quite a good one. Clears all the small aliens off the screen. Just kills them off, the minions, straight away. Because they're a real pain in the backside. So how do you know which power-up you're going to get? You don't go random. Right. So Yeah, you get that speed and it messes, It kept messing me up. Did not like it. The best it. one is, is T, I think. Or C to get rid of them, uh, the little guys, and T the timer is quite good because you can just sort of fill an area in quick. And you can actually, if he's quite close to an edge, you can fill him in quite quickly and you can get him you know, down to quite small and get a big bonus for it as well. But there's one more special weapon which doesn't come out too often and it's always the... There's, there's another kind of grey block that's got a red light in it, which is a special one, yeah. a super power-up. And when you get that, sometimes you get this big, this big weapon or a gold block will appear only for a few seconds. And if you fill that one in, you get this weapon every time. And it's a super duper pooper scooper laser. Yeah. Which will kill the main antagonist in one shot, killing him off, finishing the level, and you get a 100,000 point special bonus. Uh, and Vip found this one out on his own. I, I found it years ago. I've been playing it for a long time. But he found it out and put it on Twitter. He was quite excited when he found out he got it. And yeah. I said, that's not the biggest bonus you can get, mate. And I sent him a picture of me getting a million point bonus. He's like, why yeah. did you do that? I think everyone was until they went on YouTube and obviously found it quite easy. But every few moments, the bad guy will stop and do these firing. So that's when you, you do your moving around and trying to you know get your lines in. Yeah. Now, that's basically the game. There's 16 levels in total. And you can only get 9,999,990 points. That's when it maxes out. You cannot get any more than that. When you kill yeah. the big guy at the end of level 16, that's the game finished. So it has got an end point. That's your 10p done. Yeah. You've done the game. I haven't done it yet. I aim to do this. It's achievable. In the past, I've got to level 11 before with about 6.5 million points. That's my best, but I'm not uh, that good this time. So our old scores don't to. matter. Uh, but the Do you know what I got to? What? Two. Level two? Yeah. Well done. <laughs> That's poor. I've, I've played this game less than any other podcast game. Oh, I just no. did not like it. It's it's just not for me. No. I can see, see why people like it. It is a decent game. But I didn't like the movement or I couldn't... Puzzly bits. Yeah, so I went back to the the original kicks. Yeah. Thought right, I'll play that and see. I used to like that, and I don't like that anymore. Don't blame me, it's horrible. I, I just do not like drawing lines around things. It just just completely turned me off. Yeah. And I've not played it much at all, really. Do you know about the secrets, or shall I tell you them? Because there is a few. I, 
Yeah, I've, I've I looked at YouTube and I, I did one of the secrets to get a score and then switched it off. <laughs> well, the secrets are the main one is to kill off the bad guy by enclosing him on your first move when the fire button is pressed down for a million point bonus. If he stops yep. in a corner and you quickly whiz a line round him as your, your first move, one million points and you finish the level. And he kills all the I little did. baddies as well. Yeah. yeah, that's an easy one to do on level one. Level five is another good one, as I'll tell you about in a second. The other thing to get big points is to trap the main baddie in the smaller space as possible. It actually tells you in the attract screen, the attract mode about this. If you get 99%, I think you get 100,000, and then it, it, it creeps up, and the maximum you can get is 99.9%. You've got to trap him just a little tiny line just around him when he stops, and you get 500,000 points for that. It also tells you to try and split the small minions from the big one, which is quite good way of doing it really because they don't have to get in the way of those horrible little things and they, they, they get yeah. you more than the big guys because the big guys quite so the little ones are faster so try and sort of so I usually try and split the screen but not all the way just to leave a little tiny gap at the top so you don't fill 50% of the screening because you're getting near to 80% only do a little yeah. tiny bit and then just keep knocking him off so you get him down a little corridor and then keep knocking him off and knocking off until you get a tiny little area but it takes quite a while and I can imagine that's why people get annoyed with this game it's a bit of sort of slowly, yeah. slowly catchy monkey, I think. Some people have described, me included, the movement as sticky. Yeah. Meaning, if you, may, if you don't do a perfect square, you like do a bit of wobble. Yeah. And then you, you've got to guide your guy around this sort of wonky squares that you've created, and it's not a smooth movement. No, I know what you mean. And also, if you play with an eight-way, it's very difficult to get it to work properly. Mm, you go that's what I was stops. doing, actually. Yeah, it's not good. And that thing I was saying about um, level five, which is quite a good, it's, it's sort of a bug, really. If you ever get to level five, it's such an easy thing. I think it's because they made a mistake. Level five, there's some, some of the grey boxes, you know, get the bonuses out of, disappear and come back. So if you sort of draw a line around it and it disappears, you don't get it. And in the middle of the screen, there's about, there's a red one in the middle and there's about six around the outside of it and they go in and out, they disappear and come back. And what happens yeah. is the, the alien on that looks like a big ladybird. And he's mm. flying around and he does this sort of like, he stops for a second and does a really quick leap forwards and he fires out. And what he does, he goes to the middle of the screen and the blocks appear underneath him and it traps him. And I think the program thinks that he's in a small area. So he goes down really small almost immediately and he stays right. small. And what he does is he moves around. All you do is just, at the very start of the game, you go to the top right-hand corner, about an inch from the top, and just wait there. And after about 20 seconds, he does all this business. He goes really small, and he fires himself right up into your corner and stops, and you just go, line, line, bosh, dead. Million point bonus. <laughs> it's that simple. Wow. So level five is my favorite level. It's just so ridiculous. You just go, oh, you idiot. What are you doing going all small, you fool? And you kill him <laughs> straight away. It's really quick. And there's a few levels you can do that. I think level seven with a kind of, there's like, um, some of the monsters are quite good. I've put a, a link to a show note. It's got a really good, fan site from Volfire and it actually shows pictures of all the different aliens and some of them right. are really good I mean there was one level there's these two big fists pounding together and all you've got to do is split them apart but you only get 10,000 yeah. point bonus but that's level five or uh, four I think it's a really weird level and you just got to split them up rather than fill them in which is a bit odd you said about um, some of the bits you didn't like about it but what the bits you did like well I, w I would concede that it is a good sequel to Kicks. Yeah, it's got nice graphics. The sounds good. The music's good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I like the sound. It sounds a little bit like this. Some of them. Yeah, 
Yeah, but it isn't a game for me, I think. Do you know, after playing Kicks, I thought, do you know, there's there's a game that we've mentioned in the podcast before, a Commodore 64 game called Zolix, yeah. which is a version of Kicks. So I went back to that on emulation. I thought, what, why was did I love this? And then I realized with Zolix, it's you've, you've got your you know your traditional Commodore 64 only had one fire button, whatever joystick you plugged in. Yeah. But with Zolix, you do not press your button to go out into the play field. Okay. The line goes out and, and keeps moving. You can't stop until you fill it in or you get killed. And the and the uh, the button reverses the direction of the enemies. Oh. So you okay. you don't get yourself snagged on the little corners and jaggedy bits because the line will just move anyway you don't have to press your button you see what i mean yeah yeah that's quite a good mechanic i think because if an alien's coming towards you press your button to make him go the other way yeah oh, that's quite interesting so with zolix it was a lot there's a lot more freedom of movement even even though you could accidentally start your line out into the play field yeah but i preferred that and that's the reason i like that and it's a reason i don't like kicks now or yeah, this game so different from what you used to I suppose yeah because I, I found this game on MAME years ago when I first had MAME and I think I read about it somewhere I downloaded the PC version of it an old DOS version and yeah. I played it and played it and I got really good I got to level 14 so I nearly completed it I didn't even know how many levels it had or anything and I wasn't using the um, the quick 1 million point bonus I was just playing the game and doing it you know getting 80% and I really liked it because of that. And when I started playing the, the main version, I had a chance to buy the PC, the PCBs of it. I did, and I've got two now, just as a spare. But yeah, I, I really like it. But I know exactly what you mean. If you're mm. if you if you're impatient, you won't like it. It's not a very fast game either. But you got to do a few little fast moves. And I see what you mean. If you've got an eight-way stick, you will get stuck, and you'll get frustrated as heck with it. Um, with mm. a four-way, it's a lot easier to play. A lot easier. I didn't have much trouble with it. I tried it on keyboard as well. On really, yeah. And I just I, I cannot just, play no, games on keyboard unless it's um, left, right, fire. You know, like uh, like Space Invaders. I'm rubbish at it mm. otherwise. But I really like the 16 bit graphics. Very Arkanoidish. Yes. Is that a word? Arkanoidish, probably. It is now. It is now. <laughs> and there's lots of rip offs of this game as well. Absolutely loads of rip offs of it. There's some a bit dodgy. Um, some actually have diagonal movement in them. Ah, right. And also, um, I think Zipper mentions this in a minute, actually. Uh, on some of these other dodgy games where you reveal a picture of the background, it's a slightly, you know, scantily clad person in the background or whatever. Um, yeah. I think there's a, there's a funny mechanic on the game. I've never worked out because I haven't really played the games much. But when you do little moves, I think you get minus points, and you've got a little little gauge at the top. And as the gauge goes down, when it hits a certain point, the picture of the, the, the naked lady or man or whatever it is turns into a horror figure like Freddy Krueger or some monster from a you know a, <laughs> yeah. you know a weird horror film or something. So you get the, the horrible picture rather than the nice picture. And I think that's something to do with doing little moves rather than big, bold moves. Yeah. So let's have um, some opinions from someone else. This is um, Zipper's thoughts on the game. He said, Volfide has a ridiculous point system. It's pretty annoying. It encouraged memorizing the tips rather than rewarding adventurous play. I agree. I don't yeah. mind memorizing patterns, but the one million points absolutely belong to the people who work the patterns out, not plagiarizers <laughs> like me. I'll, be not, I'll not be giving back my score back, though. I did manage to get 9,999,990 in the end, but he died on level 15, so he didn't quite finish the game. 
But I think we know who won the uh, competition anyway. Now. Yeah, awesome. He says, the levels where you need to nibble the background, they really test my patience. I tend to do about 10 nibbles. I think I see a massive gap that doesn't exist and try and draw a five-inch line through it and die. If I could change the game, I'd like to see reckless bravery rewarded handsomely and nibblers punished with death. I'd like laser firepower to be on a different button too, so I don't accidentally come off the force field while blasting. That is a good point. Yeah. Uh, four-way stick or keys is a must in this game. I forgot to say about that, actually. When you when you get the laser power, the L power up, and you can shoot things, when you press the button to fire, you actually come off, you, you, you turn your um, your shield off, and if you get hit when you're not you know facing someone and shooting, you'll get killed as well. That's very, very annoying. Right. right. We, we could talk about the cabinet art. But there isn't any. There's none. It was, it was 1989. It was a kit only. But what is quite funny, and I've got a picture on the show notes for everyone to look at, is the Volfide Marquee. The one I'm looking at here has got a really cool font with Volfide sort of in pointy writing going from the, the top up into the middle and out. And it's got your spaceship drawing a line through it. But it's got this really wonky, dodgy-looking dragon going behind <laughs> yeah. it. And he's got the dodgiest boss eyes I've ever seen in my life. It's really funny. Yeah, that is strange, that. And the US ROM set has winners don't use drugs splash screen on it as well. But I reckon mm. the UK version could have had winners don't neck strong cider down the park. <laughs> but, uh, That'd be more yeah, applicable. Yes. Right, the ports of this game. Um, the PC Engine got a really good version of this, and I know that because I've actually got it. The Mega Drive got a version of it. Atari ST and Amiga got a version of it. Obviously, 16 bits wasn't difficult to port. And I also got it, uh, I found it on the PlayStation 1. Did you? Yeah. And what I did is I found an ISO of it, which has been already monkeyed around with, to play on the PSP. And I've been playing it on the PSP as well. And it's called Kix Neo. It's exactly the same version as Volfide, but on this, you've got an arrangement mode as well. And it's like updated right. graphics and music. It's really cool. But playing it on the PSP is quite difficult because... I'm not very good at doing quick moves with the thumbsticks. I've got a bit of a dodgy left thumb. Yeah. And it'd be better with a joystick, which you obviously can't play a joystick on a PSP. But yeah, real good version of it. Really nice. Oh. Like a little bit of an updated version. I think, the, And the PC version I had as well, which was quite cool. But yeah, definitely worthwhile playing. The PC Engine version's really close to the arcade. It's really good. And they haven't really done anything since, but they have got the, the Kicks is the old version, and then Super Kicks was sort of came out a bit later, like 86 or 87, I think. It does say it's an official sequel somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah. It is definitely a sequel. But they don't really to, say a lot the... about Super Kicks, which is a bit odd. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. Anyway, should we get down to the scoring? Yes. Right. Do you want me to do this bit? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> and I'll tell you my score, because I'm going to give you a rough score there, but I've got an actual score on my phone here. Right. Steve Ridley, 116,230, mm-hmm. which is the lowest score, but he got to level four so ah, he's playing it properly properly not cheating like we did so really he's beat me because i only got to level two and switched it off <laughs> uh, next we have neil 1637 1 million and 17,420 uh-huh. then it's me with 1 million and 18,140 honestly i bet i've played this game for less than an hour and I know it's a podcast game. I just could not bring myself. I immediately knew that I didn't like it and I wouldn't like if it. If you didn't do the cheaty bit on the first level, you'd have got 18,140. I know. You should be ashamed that, of yourself. You're going to get one of these would, for this. That would be it. <laughs> An arcade hoot. 
Uh, Mad Steve's next. He's got 1,382,140. And then it's me. I yeah, got three million four hundred seventy-four thousand six ninety. My best ever is about six and a half million, though. So I didn't do as good as I did, but I didn't play it very often. I didn't have much time to play it, unfortunately. But like you with your nineteen forty-two, I'm going to keep playing this because I want to try and do the damn game. Yeah, I think to do it is quite achievable. Mm. So Ian Cullen so next in second place. Yeah, Mappy twenty-four as we as he is now known. Yes. Nine million Ooh. and eight eighty-eight thousand three hundred and twenty. Well done, Ian. Really good. That's a score. That is a score, That's a isn't score. it? Score. But... And in first place, we have Zipper with the maximum you can possibly Max. get. Max. Nine million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety. And he was so close to completing the game as well. He got to level fifteen. If he'd done one more level, you'd have done it. Because yeah. when you get that far in the game, no point mucking about with the points. Just just fill him and get eighty percent minimum. Done the game. There's a little cutscene mm. at the end of the game, which is quite cool as well. But I will do that game. It's an achievable game. Mm. So I've been trying to, I was talking to my brother today when we, well, I actually showed him some main games and we're playing on there. And we are actually playing next show's game, which is really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. it's, it's, we're trying to find games that are completable with one coin. So it's not, it, it might be the case of, you know, you just go round and round, you loop it like Time Pilot. So that's quite an mm. easy one to do. It's only got five levels. But ones like, we're talking about stuff like Kung Fu Master. Got five levels. Quite a hard game to finish, but I know people can finish yeah. it. Scramble, I've done. Uh, Green Beret, I've done. I want to try and do Volfide. And next show's game is achievable as well. I think you can just keep looping. It doesn't actually stop or a kill screen. It loops. So yeah, I think you've actually done Volgus, haven't you? Yes, I looped Volgus. Why well, I brought me a cup of coffee? I thought she was going to tip it on my keyboard then. But she, it has got it has got the tenpence arcade logo on it. It has, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So that's that game done then. So unfortunately, you didn't like it, mate. But you know, you're going to go like some, not like others. Yeah, it is. I, I think it is a good game for people who like that kind of thing. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, horses for courses so, and all that. It's like Dig Dug, any? I, I will never like I'll that. I'll never game, forgive but, you for not liking that. You're dead to me, Billy. I, I can see why people love it. Yes, I played that. I today. did play that one quite a bit, actually. Dig Dug. I played it, Dig Dug today in the arcade. I showed my brother the arcade and had a go of it. My mum was watching me, and she was saying, "Get in with the rocks! Get in with the rocks!" <laughs> it's quite good. <laughs> Anyway, that's that game out of the way. Let's do a quick bit of the art of side art. Yeah, not for the game, you understand. Yes, for the side I'm art. glad you said that. You put that little caveat in there. Yeah, Dragon's Lair 2 mm-hmm. by Leland. I thought this was... this. I thought, right, this came out after Dragon's Lair 1 and before Space Ace. Mm-hmm. But this is way after. This is 1991, this. Is it as late as that? I knew it was yeah. later than Space Ace. Yeah, wow. 1991, yeah. Mm. This game is a... Well, the actual, let's talk about the cab first before the actual game. The cab is absolutely lovely. You slurp that coffee in there. <laughs> the cab I'm, is... I'm doing well this, this week. Crisps and coffee and... I'm doing it on you wait and, on. You wait until you get that recorder of yours at Arcade. And I'm making yeah. all sorts of noises into that. <laughs> anyway, the, the cab is... It's really quite an odd-looking thing, but quite nice. Um, it's a really up upright cab isn't it yeah uh, it's only got one joystick a button either side a big button either side you've only got one action button on it the marquee on it it's got to be i don't know two and a half foot wide like a normal arcade sort of width but it's got to be about a foot tall 18 inches tall it's really big isn't it 
Yeah, it reminds me of that Mappy one that we saw. Yeah, Mappy's got a big one as well. Yeah. This one's quite quite tall, and it's got Drangle's Lair 2 on it. It's got a really cool... The Don Bluth art on these games is absolutely gorgeous. I love the artwork on it. Uh, and yeah. I love the cartoons, but the actual gameplay is just non-existent. It's proper pants. Mm. And on this game as well, it's got a really nice control panel, quite a big control panel, and obviously the big screen in the middle, like a 25-inch screen. But on the side yeah. of it, it's got a really nice full art, not one inch, not covered on the side of it, artwork of Dragon's Lair 2. And you've got Daphne, I think is the princess, on, on Dirk's shoulders. And you've got these other bad guys and bats are in castles and you've got a big sword out. It's a really lovely looking cab and they're very, very collectible, very expensive as well. And they never work, obviously, because the laser displays don't work in them anymore. Yeah. Is that where the emulation's called, Daphne? Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, a dedicated laser disc game emulator called Daphne. And it plays all the different games, not just from Atari and and, uh, and Don Bluth games. The way it plays all sorts of different ones. But I find with all Laserdisc games, I'd rather just watch the film than play it and yeah. muck about pressing one button and getting killed and pressing one button and getting killed. So the games are absolutely rubbish, but really, really nice looking cabs. Lovely artwork. Okay, do your bit. Releases from this month in history, please. You said last time that you may do a nice tune for this. I haven't had time, but uh, we have got a bit of a, a tune to put on here, which I'll play right now. For all the pioneers, I'm going way back, way back, way back. Okay, right, we're going back 15 years in time. Mm-hmm. No, we're not. We're going back 10 years for a start. We are. To June 2005, Ibarra was released by the Mighty Cave. Lovely graphics and loads of very aggressive purple bullets. They look nice, but they kill you. Yeah, they kill you a lot. Mm. Ibarra's um, known as one of the hardest cave games, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I have played it a few times. And died lots of times. A lot, yes, yeah. yeah. So. Going back 20 years to June 1995, Rave Racer by Namco. That's a fine game. Yeah, uh, Big Phil from Nerg has his Rave Racer in situ in arcade club so i play it there oh nice they used to have one down in the arcade barn in exmouth uh sean and aaron used to run the arcade barn down and and bruce and they had one down there and it's one of the only games that ever gave me a migraine how did it do that i was sat talking to someone in front of it and it's it's got a very very rave uh sort of theme and there's lots of flashing lights in the attract mode and i came Uh, away with a migraine it was absolutely awful. I get really bad migraines sometimes as well. Oh, it knocked no. me out for a whole day, just standing in front oh, of a rave yeah. racer. But the actual game is very similar to Ridge Racer. Ridge Racer, yeah, I like it. put your foot it, on the gas yeah. and steer yourself around. I love games like that. Really like yeah. those ones. You've got the, the drifting mechanic yes, as well. Yes, very good. Right, June 1985. Super Speed Race Junior by Taito. Okay. It's got to be some kind of sequel to the TTL Speed Race game because they did loads of sequels. Yeah, there was lots. I had, I had Speed Race CL5, which was um, 1978. And that mm. was a sequel to an old uh, monochrome one, I think. Yeah. So there was lots of sequels, loads of different cabs where you could have sit-down ones, sit-in ones, ones with little seats on, all sorts of things going on. Yeah, this has got like a cockpit version. Oh, nice. And it's cute, cutesy graphics. It looks pretty good. Cool. looks all right. And now we're going down, uh, down, back, way back. Way back, back and back. down and over the other way. It's over there yes, 40 years. 40 years. June 1975, anti-aircraft by Atari. Mm-hmm. Not uncle-aircraft, anti-aircraft. Anti-aircraft. 
Yeah, it's kind of a forerunner to missile command, really. Yeah. It's a very early shooter, but maybe one of the very first ones. You've got two stationary gun turrets at the bottom of the screen, and they can fire at three different angles. And you get missiles going across the top. It's very simple. You have, you have three fire buttons, I think. Mm-hmm. And you just you just try and shoot these missiles. But there's like a kind of a PCB hack. You can mess with the ROMs. Oh, right. And the missiles change to UFOs. Oh, right. That's quite interesting, actually. Yeah, there's, there must be UFO graphics in one of the ROMs. Cool. Yeah. And you can see that on YouTube. Because some of these old um, TTL games, they might not have had a processor. But they, some of them did use ROMs, and that's probably what you must do to it. Um, yeah. One of these came up on eBay a little while back, you know, on UK eBay. Yeah. I think it went for quite cheap. It was quite a good condition one as well. And the control panel, that's really weird. You sort of put your hands over the top of these things, and the buttons are sort of, um, as you, if you think of your hands sort of just resting down, your fingers downwards, the buttons are inside there. you sort of got to touch back to touch the buttons. It's a really odd-looking mm. game, but I... I didn't fancy it myself, but I did look at it and go, hmm, black and white. I like black and white. But yeah, that's mm. a nice one. Lovely looking cab as well. There's old cabs. I think because the games weren't all that, even though some of them are quite quite fun, they made the cabinets look amazing to draw you in. Like my, my Death yeah. Race, for a start, and my I've got um, Jet Fight, which is a really lovely looking little cab, and it's got you know, things painted on the screen and, and even, and you know, all this sort of stuff, and... You look at the old um, like Space Invaders, it's really cool artwork on the side. And when you look into it, you get that, that black light glowing up at you and things are projected on the back of it in midair. And it's amazing, those old cabs. I wish they still did stuff like that. But mm. so as nowadays, they, they just put in a jammer cab or you know generic-looking thing and you've got all the singing and dancing graphics on the screen. Don't need it anymore. Mm. Let's wrap this one up, shall we? Let's talk about next show's game and who picked it. Well, it's a listener pick. It is. And this is one that was mentioned a while ago, and I can't remember who mentioned it. Mm-hmm. It's been on the list a long time, and then it's yeah. been seconded by Lesley Seventy. So we're having he, it. He recommends Rockola's Jump Bug. Yes, which is I've had a little game of it as well. Very decent little game. It's, it's kooky, makes no sense, but a lot of fun. Uh, mm. And when my brother was playing Mame today, he said, "Oh, what game should I?" I said, "Let's have a quick look at this. We're going to do this next week, I think, or next next time." And we started playing it, and I have played it a few times before, and it's a bit odd. Really enjoyed it. He was getting reet into it, and he's got a score. Should, <laughs> I, saw, I promised him I'd read his score out as well, and it was quite a decent score. I did beat it, but not by much. Um, and I think he's going to play it at home now. He's got MAME on his computer at home. I think he's going to play it. He's going to get a joystick and play it. Yeah, uh, but yeah very, very decent, odd, funny little game. So, yeah, everyone play Jump Bug by Rockola, and we will talk to you or listen to you or think about you in two weeks' time. <laughs> that happened to me before. We get kind of a bit mental at the end. Yes. We will just put the interview with Adam Pratt at the end of this. Yes, we certainly will. It's a very interesting read. Yep. Enjoy, listeners. Yes. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Uh, welcome, Adam Pratt, to the 10 Pence Arcade podcast. You've got the Game Grid Arcade in West Valley City, is it? Utah. And yes. you're also the owner of the Arcade Heroes website. Tell us about your arcade. How many games have you got? At present, um, I want to say 55. Yeah, uh, yeah about 55 uh, games crammed into about 2,000 square feet of space. Excellent. What is the best earning games that you've got there at the moment? 
Right now, the number one game that I have is Jurassic Park Arcade by Raw Thrills. Just came out a few months ago. Um, I actually don't own that one. That I'm splitting it with an operator who bought the machine and he put it in the space, and that way I didn't have to put any money into it. And so I just have the that. But that's the top earner. Um, Fast and Furious Supercars. I have a pair of those that were conversion yeah. kits took old cruising cabinets, cut the tops off, and installed those kits with some new LCD monitors. Um, that does very consistent business, very high business. Uh, the Terminator Salvation light gun game that I have, that also is one of the top games. So all raw thrills games, actually. <laughs> they seem to be the market leaders at the moment, don't they, raw thrills? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that statement. It seems like that's been the case for a few years. Probably after Terminator, I'd say, is when they really started catching steam. Um, I mean, I also have a Big Buck HD. It doesn't do as well as the Terminator or the Jurassic Park, but it's also a, a solid earning game. And uh, I actually had a Raw Thrills executive come into my arcade out of the blue the other day. Uh, not Eugene Jarvis, uh, but one of their other executive yeah. guys. And uh, he was... Pretty excited because, uh, you know, he sees all these games from his company there and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, th those are the, the top-earning games. And Air Hockey, I have an Air Hockey table, a newer one by a company called Baron Games, and that always is a, a strong-earning game week in, week out. In the UK, we get games, obviously, a bit later than you. Mm -hmm. Our main arcade area, I would say, is called Blackpool. Yeah, I went the other week, and they've got Star Wars Battle Pod. Um, oh. But I was hoping to see like a Sega Showdown or the Jurassic Park game, but there's nothing like that yet. Actually, surprised they were going to have the Sega Showdown since that was handled by uh, Hollywood Gaming, which is based in the UK, and Sega Amusements UK guys were the the leaders on the development for that one. And so uh, that's too bad. That's one I've played it at some trade shows, and I've actually been thinking about getting one. It's a solid idol. I've seen the videos. They do look good. That brings me on to another thing. You have all this information. That's why I like listening to your podcasts and looking on the site. You have all this kind of inside information. Where does it all come from? How do you get the news first on the site? Well, sometimes it comes straight from the uh, manufacturers. Sometimes they're willing to say that it's coming from them, sometimes maybe not. There actually have been more than one instance where one of the competing companies told me about something that one of their competitors was doing. A while back, there was a Namco product, I think it was a Mockstorm or something, and somebody from Illinois sent me something about it, and I, I think it was one of their competitors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's where all the arcade development happens in the U.S. is Illinois, and so they're always watching each other. Um, and I've, I've also had some other people from Sega Japan reach out to me and say, hey, this is what Konami's doing, and uh, I've Konami people saying, hey, this is what Sega's doing. And so uh, it probably helps that uh, there aren't many sites out there um, trying to just do arcade news, so there isn't a lot too. Since the site's been around for a while and uh, it's been building up a, a good fan base on social media, get tips from people that are just, just gamers out there that like arcades and or pinball and yeah. want to share something. 
So I'll take tips from wherever they come from, as long as they're credible. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I like about the site is the retrospective you do. Like you, you did one on Pac-Man recently, mm-hmm. and that retrospective you did on Sega, the 55 years with the electromechanical games. Sega Amusement's Facebook page has just shared that. Mm-hmm. They must be impressed with that. Like 123,000 followers on Facebook may read your post. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that no, that made me feel good because uh, I mean I was starting to get a little exhausted because uh, you had the Pac-Man anniversary and then the Mario anniversary and then the Sega anniversary, and it takes a, a bit of time to put those together to research it, make sure I'm getting all the games. I, Every time I do one of those, I always know that somebody's going to be like, "Hey, you forgot this one," and it's like, uh, but yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Has um, I mean, Sega—they definitely have the largest social media reach out of all the arcade companies. You obviously got a real vast knowledge of the industry and the games. And there was one you did. It might have been a, a couple of years ago, maybe, and it was how. Pong transferred into sort of breakout and you covered the games in that transition period. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your background? Did you grow up with the games or did you get into it later on? Um, a lot of it was actually later. I mean, video games in general, yeah, I did uh, start when I was just a little kid. had a Texas Instruments 99 4A computer that my parents got one Christmas and that started my fascination with video games and later was the Atari. Um, I actually didn't come across an arcade until I was about six years old um, for a birthday party, but I was totally mesmerized by it because I already love video games and going going out of the house and finding a place that had all these game cabinets um, dedicated to video games and this was in the late 80s so it was a there was almost no lighting in the arcade it was just the <laughs> machines themselves I think there was a few black lights I recall but you know it was one of those uh, stereotypical dark CD arcade places and in 1999 I actually started working for one at a uh, family entertainment center that's closed uh, they were called the Hollywood Connection but yeah. um, I started working for their laser tag, which was attached to their arcade, and uh, started working in the ar- arcade because you'd switch off between the redemption desk and the laser tag. And um, that really, I think, helped me build up uh, a knowledge of arcade gaming. I mean, I had been fascinated by it ever since that first time I came across the discs of Tron. Yeah. And then I investigated what Tron was, and I loved that movie. And then I started, you know, just looking into arcades. And that's when I got the idea. I was probably about eight years old when I decided I want to have an arcade when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, the, I wanted to be like the Kevin Flynn character, actually. I had this idea where I'd build my own arcade business facility and I'd build my own apartment above it. And then I could be just like Kevin Flynn in my apartment making video games while I ran an arcade. That was my fantasy didn't work out like that of course but um still it led me very early on to that path of wanting to uh own an arcade and doing anything i could to learn about the business and um, be actively involved in it that way so how many years have you been owner of the game grid as of this coming monday uh seven years wow What is your opinion on the current scene in the U.S.? In in the U.K., 
we have, I'd say, six or seven little arcades that have sprang up with the retro style. Mm-hmm. There's quite a big one near me where the biggest one in the UK has got 100 retro games and about 10, 15 pinballs. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of them are springing up around the US. Mm-hmm. And what's your opinion on, on these kind of ventures? On the retrocades, I mean, it's, it's a great trend. Um, it shows that, that the interest is there and that it's real. Fortunately, most of them, as far as I'm aware, haven't closed. I mean, there's been one or two that did, and it seems like the ones that struggle the most are the smallest ones, yeah. um, where they only have 25 games. And that's actually how I started. I almost closed down because I just didn't have enough games. You need quantity. But... Um, I mean, to some degree, I am a little worried about it because, I mean, what I've experienced in my own arcade is the retro games do have a name and they do draw in attention with some older gamers. I have a lot of guys that come in and they will say, man, this is so awesome. This is so great what you're doing here. I love it. And they walk out. They don't buy any tokens at all. They don't play anything. Um, I do have a few regulars, like I have a guy uh, who comes in almost every day and plays Ms. Pac-Man, but still that amount that Ms. Pac-Man does a week is a minuscule amount compared to what um, like the Jurassic Park Arcade does. Yeah. Uh, Pac-Man does like 20, 30 bucks a week, Um, but then most other classics that I have, they'll make a dollar. Uh, now I do understand most our retrocades in the U.S. don't use the same business model that I do. I'm just doing the traditional model. These days they will do pay at the door a flat rate fee like uh, ten, fifteen dollars, yeah. and then everything's on play. And it seems like that's been working for them. Uh, but I guess to attach my tangent uh, <laughs> is what I think they're going to need is some new content. And what worries me is most everything right now is going towards very expensive content. Like you mentioned the Star Wars Battle Pod. Yeah. Uh, that's a $30,000, $35,000 game. Now, of course, while I say this, I actually am getting one. Um, I was able to work out a really amazing financing deal uh, to get one. And I, I had no intention of getting it, but... I've had so many people come into my arcade and ask, hey, are you guys getting that new Star Wars game? And so I started looking into it and and found a really good deal. And it seems like there's enough hype there because they did a really good job at marketing it. But, Mm. you know, most arcades don't want to spend that much money on a new game. They don't even want to spend, say, like $7,000, which is what your average is for a lot of new titles. And I just think to keep interest over time, they're they're going to need something newer. And what I've been hoping for is that uh, manufacturers will offer some games that are in the lower cost range. That has happened on occasion. Uh, There's been Pac-Man Battle Royale by Namco. That was about 4,500. And that was a great game. Um, I mean, I have one of those and it earned really well. Uh, Obviously, it's not as deep as your original Pac-Man because it's just eat each other. And when after five rounds or whatever, it's over as a single player game. You can't keep going for 255 levels or anything. But still, I think games like that, there's a market need there. Or if there isn't one right now, there's going to be in a few years to help these arcades keep some newer stuff. Now, maybe what they'll do is go to games that are maybe 10 years old that are out there. There's still plenty of those. Um, 
but I guess that could become a problem because I know everybody's soaking up all the classic games and there's only a limited supply of how many classic cabinets are still out there. You know, there was only so many dig dugs made. Probably not any of those left as well. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say where it will go. I want it to succeed. You know, I'm pretty sure as soon as there's news of any of them that was to fail, then some media types will take that and say, oh, all arcades are failing, even though it's just one or two. But it's a model that still works. And uh, in the U.S., it's definitely been booming, especially when it's tied to a pub of some kind, or bar bar arcades, as they call them here. And so uh, that seems to be the the main push, or the the main attraction attraction combination is alcoholic drinks and games. Yeah, we have we have a, a bar here called the Four Quarters that does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have a few drinks, and you actually buy tokens. Your place is tokens as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you buy tokens. That, well, I think they are actually American quarters, and you put them in and play the games and that. That's cool. <laughs> so with the Golden Age arcades, um, one aspect that people really enjoyed about that is you would go to the arcade, and almost every week or every month there would be something new there. And that was part of the appeals. There was constantly something new. Now, that's really hard to maintain, uh, especially Mm. these days. I'd say most arcades can only afford to get one or two games, maybe a few others. But it it is still a difficult thing to expect that. But still, um, at least from what I've seen, what's made me successful is having those new games in there. Because I have about half and half at this point, half new, half old. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just seems to work really well because they play off of each other. And still what I see every week is that the new stuff is what people are wanting to pay for. And so showing that that's kind of what you need. Now, if you do have a massive collection of classics, that kind of overcomes that. Um, a lot of these arcades, when they have 70 games, 100 games, or there's the famous Galloping Ghost Arcade over in Brookfield, Illinois, yeah. um, they just today announced their 170th game to the floor. They're the largest video arcade game in the world, and that right there is just, that's almost like a tourist attraction, just to go to a place and see uh, that huge of a game selection. I mean, there's no way you can play all those games in one day or two days, and and so that has a pill. But, as I mentioned, there's a limited supply of what exists out there. I know there are some uh, working on repros, but... You know, it's it's hard to predict where that will go and how long that'll be sustained for, or how long that nostalgia will mean money coming into arcades. Mm. What is your view on redemption games? Well, I've never been a big fan of those, um, but I worked at the re- a redemption desk when I worked for Hollywood Connection back in the late '90s, and it was okay. I mean, I did see that they made money. And I, mean, I guess when it comes down to what makes money, that's why in the U.S. especially, that's what most arcades and other locations focus on is because you will have people putting $2,000 a week into some of those games. And they are the simplest concepts you can think of, you know, just uh, like Monster Drop. 
I know that's one of the most popular ones in the U.S. And all it is is a ball falls down onto the rotating platform with holes in it, and if it lands in the jackpot one, then you win a bunch of tickets. Mm. You know, and that that's something somebody probably thought up just taking a shower or something like that. It it didn't require a lot of planning uh, to come up with the, the core concept. Um, and so it's kind of amazing to me how those games can can do so well, even though there's really not any depth to them. Yeah. And in some aspects, I do kind of wish that arcade video game makers would be willing to take some of those risks because it seems like there's more innovative risks that are taken in Redemption yeah. uh, than that are taken in video games. As most video games these days, it's it's a light gun game or it's a racing game and occasionally a music game, um, but it's uncommon for us to find something that's completely outside of that realm whereas in redemption it's always finding out new ways to make a coin fall through a slot or a hole or something else to make the coin give you tickets and it's a 10 second experience but they've come up with lots of crazy but interesting ideas to make that work yeah, we have a lot of arcades in the UK that are almost completely redemption now. One of the biggest arcades is called Coral Island, and when you used to go in in the 80s, it was all video games, and then I've seen it over like 20, 25 years, how it sort of changed, the redemption games crept in, and, and now I went in last week, and there's just a small corner that is still video games. They've got Terminator Salvation, House of the Dead 4, but nothing really new, uh, Guitar Hero... Right a couple of driving games but the rest of the the whole place is what you call an fec a family entertainment center now there's food there's uh gambling um yeah it's just completely changed right which i was just suppose they have to do to survive that's where the money is so what's that's what they have to do isn't it right essentially i mean it is tough as it it's rare that a, a video game will prove that it can earn as much as redemption and i think for most operators, probably like this in the UK, I know it's like this in the US, they want to see results first. Yeah. Uh, they want to see that this game can make as much money as a redemption game. And the, right now, uh, that new Jurassic Park game, um, that's reportedly making just as much as uh, some of the top redemption games from what many locations are reporting. Oh, and good. it's actually the first time I've seen, um, while I've been doing Arcade Heroes, that the manufacturer has gone and they've gathered testimonials and they keep promoting the earnings. And you always know that it's a, one of the stronger games if the manufacturer is talking about the earnings. If they're yeah. not talking about the earnings, then you know it's a weaker one. <laughs> um, it's, uh, anytime they're bragging about that, um, then it's strong. But Jurassic Park, I mean, even at my place, which has, I only have one redemption piece, just a key master. Everything else is video. Um, so that's all people have to choose from. Uh, then it seems to, they feed off each other. It, it can still be done. I just think the manufacturers need to have the right concept and then they need to do a better job at marketing. Yeah. Um, the old, the manner or the redemption way of marketing is all you have to do is put it there. It sells itself. A word of mouth will do it or people will just simply see it and they'll put a coin in it and another and another just to get those tickets. A video, it takes a little more work, I think, yeah. um, that they need to do. And to me, the prime example of making that work has been Star Wars Battle Pod. 
Um, just as I didn't really have anybody coming in saying, hey, are you guys getting the new Jurassic Park arcade? Because nobody's really heard of that. Just inside the industry, they've heard of that, yeah. but not outside. Yeah, so I've read that for, for an arcade game to be successful now, it's got to be bigger and better and offer something that you can't get at home with the consoles and the computers, like, you know, the big controls and maybe the motion seat and some of these so-called 4D things which wobble the seat and blow air at you, right. like uh, Dark Escape and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? It's got to be sort of larger than and offer almost an experience, like a like a roller coaster ride. To some degree, uh, yes, but not completely. As one interesting thing I've noticed is I've been able to get my hands on some of the earnings reports, at least from what the manufacturers say they're earning. Now, you always it's always hard to know if it's fully accurate because they never say exactly what the locations are. Because I know with some things like Redemption, uh, they've twisted the numbers. Like Key Masters were saying, that, oh, they're making $2,500 a week, but that was from a cruise ship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not accurate for anybody that's in my type of business. Uh, but still, what I've seen from these games that are $30,000, $35,000, like Dark Escape 3D's 35000 it only makes as much as a $20,000 game. Right. And that's where it's kind of hard to justify that cost. Um, Star Wars and Time Crisis 5 are kind of in that same boat. And it's still very early to to tell between the two because Time Crisis just came out. But um, apparently Time Crisis 5 and Star Wars are on par with each other. And so that seeing that several times over mock storm was the same dark escape is the same you have to wonder if that's if going to that level is paying off maybe where the 20 or ten thousand dollar or like jurassic park that's twelve thousand is it um that's still a lot of money but it's a lot less than the thirty thousand dollar one and if it's making more money than a thirty thousand dollar game then uh you know that's what operators are going to want to go for but i do believe that we we need to play to the arcade strengths we need exclusive games yeah um, i know a lot of gamers don't like to hear that and they want everything that comes out in arcade to come home but for the business to survive and for there to be a market to continue developing these games uh, one thing i have seen firsthand is if a game comes out for home consoles, if it's a big name, say like Street Fighter 4, yeah. um, I took a big risk on getting a Street Fighter 4, and I had it for a month and a half where it wasn't available at home. During that time, it was amazing. Uh, I've never seen anything like it in my whole time that I've been in the arcade business um, where I had 40 to 50 guys on a Wednesday morning at my location just yeah. lined up to play the game. You know, more, normally Wednesday mornings I have a parent with a three-year-old wandering in just out of curiosity, <laughs> uh, but I don't have uh, huge crowds of people. But the moment that came of it became available for the Xbox 360, it died, and it was back to you know, your normal uh, way things are. And I, these days, Street Fighter 2 makes as much as Street Fighter 4 does. Um, so having it exclusive to the arcade is beneficial to us yeah. uh, that are trying to make a living off of it. Um, but uh, one mentality of the industry, I talked with Eugene Jarvis about this. Um, I asked him 
uh, what he thought about twin stick shooters since he essentially invented that genre with Robotron. And uh, he just shook his head and he's like, well, joystick games don't make any money anymore. Uh, you know, if if they could come up with a concept that where it could make at least three hundred dollars a week consistently, then they would take a look at it. But uh, it's not believed that joystick and button combinations are capable of doing that. Now, I think that it really depends on the concept. I mean, Star Wars is a joystick game essentially, and it works. Um, yeah. And I have a Darius Burst, another Chronicle that title released. I mean, that was a joystick game, and when I first got it, it was actually making as much money as Terminator, which is very impressive that it was making as much as a light gun game. Wow. Um, but it, it it dropped off. It's obviously an odd an oddball. A lot of people don't know what to do with it when they approach it. And um, one aspect of a lot of arcade games that most people have noticed is you can't beat most modern games on one credit anymore uh, because they're not really skill-based as far as uh, like they used to be it's more timed and once it reaches a certain time then you get hit once and you it automatically removes any health that you have but Darius Burst it doesn't do that it's very old school um, I've had people that put in their coins and they were dead within 10 seconds it was, yeah. they were already seeing the menu screen and so uh, I'm sure if Taito had tweaked that just a little bit or at least done something like a voiceover saying, shoot everything that moves, then it might have helped people because that's usually what would happen. Say a kid or something would pop up on it and they didn't understand that if it moves, you blow it up. That's how those games work. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of a lost art in some circles these days. We do need to do, we need to have things, whether it's, game concepts or technologies that are different to help drive play and it doesn't always have to be different controls i've touted a few times on arcade heroes before different display types i mean we've got that with star wars battle pod with the dome screen yeah um and they've done that uh, sega had let's go island 3d which was an auto stereoscopic 3d screen like the nintendo 3ds but enormous yeah and Dark Escape 4D has the has the 3D screen and the wind blowers and all of those things. Mm. But there's curved displays, there's ultra wide displays. Like personally, I think you could still make a beat 'em up like Ninja Turtles or X Men work um, with those um, really wide screens. I think 29 21 by 9 ratio ultra wide screens that they have out there, and or 4K displays, I mean, those are coming down in price, and it'll probably still be a few years before any manufacturer in the arcade industry touches those, when in, in reality they should be ahead of the curve and adding stuff like that long before it becomes common in, among consumers. Because um, I think it's that technological edge that helps drive interest in wanting to go and find the new arcades, just because it's like, oh, I don't get to see that anywhere else. Um, whether it's the Star Wars or the, the Candy Crush arcade game that has the transparent LCD that's a touchscreen. I mean, that's really cool. When I first saw that, it was first 
under a game called Blackout. That was fascinating. I mean, it was like science yeah. fiction because you could see through it and it was interactive and everything. And there's been a few other games that have been trying to use that. And uh, there's the new Silent Scope Bone Eater by Konami over in Japan. It uses a regular display, and then in front of it, it has a transparent touchscreen display. And that's just yeah. that's really cool. Now, obviously, it costs an arm and a leg and then some, mm. but <laughs> it's still you came across that that just would stop you in your tracks because it's something so unique and science fiction like right i just want to finish off asking you we've got modern games versus golden age games if you had to pick one game as your favorite from each mm -hmm. what golden age game would you pick and what sort of newish game you know sort of sort of like 2000 onwards would you pick and hmm that is a really good question i would say for the classic times, probably Major Havoc by Atari. Yeah, Vector One. Yeah, um, yeah. I it took many years for me to come across that one in arcade format. I got to play it on one of those multi-game compilations for the original Xbox years ago, and uh, but I came across it in the arcade, and that was just such a well-designed game. Um, in a way, it's kind of like Super Mario Brothers before that was a thing. Um, mm. And so just the, the color vector, the blending of having a Space Invaders or Galaga-like game with a platforming, jumping game, just stellar design. And that's definitely one of my favorites um, from the time. But many people don't know about it since it came out during the, uh, what we call crash. the crash period. Yeah. But I know that it's more of a thing for the U.S. and not so much the rest of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Still haven't seen a major havoc. Oh, really? I still have never seen one in the flesh now. Yeah, the only time I've ever come across one was at a collector's house um, that doesn't live mm. terribly far away from me. Um, he comes into my arcade once in a while, and every time he does, he's like, "You need to come over and play these games because he he has Zevius and Major Havoc and Tempest and Cubert and uh, several others. I bought a few games off of him, but uh, he had a Major Havoc there, and so uh, I spent some time and was like, "Yep, this is this is a great game, just as uh, good as what I've played in the emulation." <laughs> Uh, so for the, the, those times, that was definitely one of my favorites. It's always hard to pick because there's so many. But then modern times, I would have to say Darius Burst and Other Chronicles yeah. is, has been my favorite. And I'm, I'm still playing through that game. There's just so much content to it. And uh, that's what I love about it because it's so old school in the way that it plays. I mean, it can be brutal. It's it's very challenging to get a one full credit clear on any one of those levels. But that's what I love about it, because when you manage that, it's so satisfying. Mm. Uh, in the Chronicle mode, for those that um, aren't familiar with it, it has over 2,000 levels that you can play. And each one of these levels, it has a specific goal that you're supposed to meet to clear the level. And um, then it clears it for the whole machine and it puts your name up there. And uh, among those, it'll say complete these levels on one credit and it'll give you like six levels that you have to play through. And it's tough as nails. Um, but there was one that I played, I think it took me about five weeks of playing it over and over and over and over again. And when I finally beat it, there was a crowd of people around me watching me. Yeah. And <laughs> that's a unique feeling. I wrote about that in my book about arcades and that that's not something you ever 
get to experience playing games at home. Like even if you have your own family or friends around you watching you do something really cool in a game, it's not the same feeling as being out in public and say one credit clearing a ridiculously challenging game and having strangers cheer you on and uh, you know <laughs> getting all excited as you're excited about that. I mean, it's it's a very unique thing. So through uh, things like that and the other aspects that make Darius Burst an awesome game, that definitely takes my top spot. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Adam. And uh, good luck with the Game Grid Arcade, arcadeheroes.com, and the ongoing podcast. And thank you very much. Thank you. You can download or play the podcast, read all the show notes, and leave feedback at www.10pencearcade.co.uk. You can email me at vertvic at 10pencearcade.co.uk. You can also reach us on our Facebook page. You can tweet me at 10pencearcade, and you can tweet Sean at Sean Holly. We'd love to hear from you for game suggestions, arcade pickups and stories, or any of your personal thoughts on anything we may have covered. 